Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. chance to rest, the chance to be reminded that it's not by the working of our of our hands in our in our lives that we get ahead. It's not by any of those things, God, that we find our identity or our worth. It's God um, being in relationship with you and finding rest in you is is such a such an important reminder for our lives today. Um, Lord, thank you for the time to open the scripture again. Thank you for The moments we have here, um, God, may you teach us, may you reveal yourself to us through your spirit and through your word, we pray in the name of Jesus. Together we say, amen. All right. Well, hey, welcome back. Those of you who are here live and those of you who are joining us online, I know we've got some online joiners uh, or online people who are joining us from various places tonight, so we're thankful and want to welcome you back Uh, this morning. We began to set a framework, Dr. Meek began to set a framework for understanding Ecclesiastes, and tonight's kind of like the uh, bring it together in the sense of like, here's, here's, let's kind of try to make sense of all of this, and how do we live this out? How do we walk in this? And so uh, I just want to welcome, welcome Russ back up here as he shares from Ecclesiastes. So Russ, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back, you guys. Really appreciate that. I'm gonna try not to spill this coffee, but we will see. All right. Ah, okay. Okay, so um, we talked last time, last two times about um, how Genesis or how Ecclesiastes is shaped by Genesis and how the framework for understanding Ecclesiastes comes from reading it in light of the theology of Genesis. Creation theology, this idea that God created everything, he made it all. And Ecclesiastes in one part is trying to mimic that, you know, with the creation of the garden uh, and uses these, repeats these words over and over. Um, at the end of that, we find out that his garden isn't good like God's garden is. And he, sets, he talks about um, <clears throat> death in terms of Ecclesiastes, God creating from dust and humans returning to dust. So he kind of crosses this bridge from Genesis 2 to Genesis 3. And then we looked at these several passages, six passages, uh, really briefly, where God, or where Ecclesiastes says, look, enjoy Enjoy food, enjoy work, enjoy your spouse, enjoy wine. And then we looked at the meaning of the word hevel, and we talked about how that word is the same word as Abel in Genesis 4, and how Ecclesiastes uses that word over and over to refer to these situations that represent the breakdown of the retribution principle. Remember we talked about retribution theology, this basic idea Found in Deuteronomy and Proverbs that if you do what's right, you know, God will bless you. And if you do what's wrong, God will curse you. We talked about the covenantal context of that. And we talked about how finally Ecclesiastes, just like our own experience and the book of Job, says, 
that's not really how it happens all the time. Sometimes it does happen that way, but sometimes it doesn't happen that way. And so I ended talking. So, and so that's what I think the book of Ecclesiastes is about, is navigating life in an upside-down world, in a world that's marked by Abel, this reversal of the righteousness and the wicked, these situations where things don't make sense and don't work out the way they're supposed to. And I ended talking about the story of my grandmother, who was godly and loved the Lord and was faithful and died at such a young age from cancer the second time, you know? Um, And I didn't mention this then, but the other kind of side of that is much later in life, um, my, oh, my dad died. And my dad died, and he was the same age as my grandmother. And my dad was this, you know, was an absentee father. He was an alcoholic. He was just like an all-around bad person in terms of his family life. He was, you know, the people at work loved him, uh, but for us, for me and my mom, my siblings, it was really difficult. Um, and so in my mind, I have this picture of this woman who loves the Lord, and is faithful and takes care of her family, and then this man who walked out on us and really lived for himself his whole life. And they both die at the same age. And, and so that is just like a, a struggle, right? It's a struggle to understand what God is doing in that and why God does it that way. And I talked about how the book of Ecclesiastes was this kind of backdoor entry into the Christian faith. And for me, especially, uh, struggling with these questions of why do uh, bad things happen to good people? And then why do good things happen to bad people? Like both sides of that equation, right? And Ecclesiastes addresses that head on several times. He says, like, this is what, this is messed up. This is messed up. This is messed up. Over and over. We saw several of those passages in the second session earlier this morning. Now, but Ecclesiastes doesn't leave us there. Praise the Lord, right? I mean, and that's the beauty of it. When I started my journey in Ecclesiastes something like 10, 15 years ago, it was closer to 10 years ago. I don't want to date myself too much here. Um, When I started my journey, I started it because I saw all of the bad stuff. I saw all of the wrestling, all of the frustration in Ecclesiastes, and that spoke to my heart, and I thought, yes, like, I feel that. I get that. It's kind of, it's a... Um, people talk about, um, <clears throat> uh, like, apologetics, you know, like defending the faith and giving an, a, a reason for why you believe what you believe. Like, for me, what I needed was an existential reason. I needed to feel something. I needed to experience something. I needed someone to say, like, I, I, I get where you're at and where you're from. And that kind of existential or feelings-oriented um, approach is what I found in Ecclesiastes. And I certainly didn't expect for things to for things to turn up, you know? I didn't expect to walk away from Ecclesiastes with any sort of new understanding of who God is and how he acts in our lives, but I did. I walked away uh, with a really incredible understanding. I mean, obviously not complete, but a, a, a different, a new picture of who God is. And the reason is Ecclesiastes, he doesn't leave us there. It doesn't leave us in the ableness of the world. Yes, he confronts that and he tackles that and he wrestles with that. And he doesn't really give an ultimate answer um, other than these two things, fear God and enjoy God's gifts. And that's what I want to talk about tonight uh, is kind of how, like, okay, 
This world is messed up and upside down in so many different ways. So what do we do? We fear God and we enjoy his gifts. Now, I want to talk about, uh, I'm going to walk through three verses in Ecclesiastes and talk about fearing God and talk about what that means and what it looks like as Christians. And then I'm going to talk about the enjoyment aspect and then we will wrap it up and I'll let you guys go on your way. So Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, this is what I call the hermeneutical lens of the book of Ecclesiastes. So if we're going to, I know I said earlier, if we're going to understand Ecclesiastes, we have to understand how it's using Genesis. Also, if we're going to understand Ecclesiastes, we have to start at the very end of the book, because at the very end, he tells us, he gives us some insight on, on what's going on in the rest of the book. So if you'll remember, he said like, he was like, man, like wealth People, you, you get all this wealth and then you're lonely and that's not the way it should be. Or you get all this wealth and you leave it to um, a person who's foolish and that's not the way it should be. And wickedness and righteousness are inverted and that's not how it should be. And you work and toil and it's all for envy and, and for nothing else. Like that's not how it should be. So he goes through all of these things. Then when we get to the end of the book, he says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of all mankind. For God will bring, into, bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now, this word, whole duty, means, it doesn't say whole duty in Hebrew. It just says whole. This is the whole of humanity. This is what it means to be a human being. He's not talking about our duty or our responsibility. He's saying this is who we were created to be, people who fear God, okay? Human beings were created in this for the purpose of fearing God. And we'll talk about what fearing God means. So I just don't want you to walk away from here thinking like, okay, I have like more boxes to check off, more things to do on my checklist. That's not what... The author of Ecclesiastes is saying, he's saying like what it means to be human is to live in a relationship with God. And so as we read the book of Ecclesiastes, that's what I mean by hermeneutical lens. We have to read the whole book with our fear God glasses on. In Ecclesiastes 4, 5, and 7, he gives, just kind of building on this a little bit, he talks about... um, Four, five through seven... That is not the right verse. It's chapter 5, 4 through 7. Sorry. Um, I transposed my 4 and my 5 up there. So 5, 4 through 7. When you make a, a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow is a mistake. Why should God be angry what you say, at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are, are hevel or like Abel. Uh, therefore, fear God. Okay? He says, look, do what you say you're going to do, essentially. And if you make a vow, keep a vow. It's better not to keep make a vow, you know. And, you know, you can imagine um, this, this is the sort of thing. If you remember, um, we often use vows, I think, to, to try to manipulate God, you know. Like God, or at least I do. I shouldn't say everyone. I don't do it as much as I used to. 
but you know, like, oh God, if you'll just get me through X, Y, Z, I'll never do A, B, C again. You know, you kind of hear that, like, oh, if I just don't, if this, if we make it through this storm, like, I promise I'll never smoke cigarettes or something like that, you know. The author of Ecclesiastes is saying, don't do that. Just fear God. And then in 6, 12 through 13, he gives us this, and this is really important as New Testament believers reading this passage. For who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and able-like days they pass through like a shadow? Who can tell them what will happen after they're gone? I'm like, I've totally messed up my um, passages here. Okay, this is not the right passage. Anyway, Ecclesiastes... Maybe it's five. Sorry, you guys. Anyway, in this passage, <clears throat> the one I'm talking about, I won't um, take up our time like searching for it here. Um, Ah, 8, 12 through 13. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better for those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. So remember we talked earlier about this reversal where the people who don't fear God, or the wicked, sorry, are supposed to have short lives, and the righteous are supposed to have long lives, but Abel shows this reversal. In Ecclesiastes 8, 12 through 13, not 6, he, he gives us this eschatological hope, and he says, look, even if what we see, even if we see these people prospering, we know that ultimately it will be well with those who fear God, and it will not be well with those who do not fear God. And this is particularly important, this eschatological or end times hope or end times perspective when we get to the New Testament because like we know um, Jesus was very clear that we can expect much suffering. Uh, Paul suffered, Peter suffered, all of these great people of the New Testament era suffered and died violent deaths even though we know they were faithful to the Lord. I mean, Jesus was crucified, right? I mean, that's kind of, he, he's, he's kind of like, the one perfect person who ever lived ever, and he experienced injustice, the greatest injustice. Yes. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. That's right. So, <clears throat> if we're supposed to fear the Lord, uh, what is this? All right, so um, this story, when I was a little kid, this is like back before, it's like one of my, I only have a few memories of my dad when he's at home, this is one of them, um, and he tells me one, one day, I, so I was under six, I don't remember how old I was, and he, I come running out of our living room, you know, and my dad's like, hey, don't go into the kitchen, you know, and I was like, okay, sure, I won't go into the kitchen, if you guys have kids, you know exactly what I did. I ran into the kitchen. Uh, and in, this, in the kitchen, I, I stepped all over glass, okay? So my, my feet 
are all cut up and blood is all over the place. And, uh, you know, my dad, of course, like scoops me up and it's like everybody's like kind of panicking. Um, I get my feet bandaged up. Everything's okay. They get the glass, glass cleaned up. Uh, and then I got a spanking or a whooping, as, as we call them in Arkansas, because I didn't do what my dad told me to do. And I look back on that often thinking about how listening to my dad would have prevented me from getting my feet cut up. And that spanking was, is just like embedded in my memory. And it taught me this lesson. Um, obviously, it didn't work out totally for me, um, but it taught me this lesson to, that my dad, at least in that moment, had my best interest, right? He wanted me not to get my feet cut up with glass. And so that's why he gave me a command. I disobeyed the command, and I bore the consequences for disobedience, both in like the natural consequences of stepping on glass and also in getting a spanking. And so I learned from that that there's this, it, it fearing my dad, it wasn't, it didn't mean that um, I should cower in fear before him. It didn't mean that I should be terrified of him. He still loved me. He still wanted to have a relationship with me when he was, you know, in, in, that, in those moments in home. But he didn't want me to get my feet cut up, right? And so there was a punishment or a discipline that was based out of this relational context, this relationship that I had with my dad. And the whole purpose was, like the whole purpose of discipline was to make me flourish, right? To, to prevent me from cutting my feet, to prevent me from getting a spanking, to prevent me from experiencing bad things in life. And so when we talk about fearing the Lord, it's not the type of fear that is cowering, cowering and terrified, thinking that God is going to strike us with a lightning bolt if we do the slightest thing wrong. It's the type of fear that says, okay, this, there, there is uh, most definitely an element of discipline from the Lord, just like there was from my earthly dad, but that discipline is for my good, right? And so I've learned to obey him, not out of like, God, please don't kill me, but out of like, God, I know that you know what's best for me. And so living, and this is, again, based in this relational and covenantal context, like we talked about earlier, this covenant that God has established with Israel, it's not, it's not the type of, you know, commandments that, it's relational. That's the best way to talk about it. it, like, it like you would have a relationship with your children, um, and you love them, and so you want them to obey you, because you know better than they do about things, right? And so fear, when Ecclesiastes or when throughout the whole Old Testament, when we read to fear God, you know, we talk, hear that especially in the book of Proverbs, fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Ecclesiastes says, here's the end of everything. The whole, the whole of humanity, what it means to be a human is to fear God. And so when he says fear God or fear the Lord, he means live in obedience to him, live in right relationship with him. He doesn't mean be terrified, never pray, always walk around afraid that you're going to um, set him off, you know? And believe me, like I know, like I, I talked earlier about living in, in an abusive family. Um, I know what it means to live in that kind of fear, that kind of terror that you're going to say or do the wrong thing to set someone off. 
That's not at all the kind of fear we're talking about in the Old Testament. The kind of fear we're talking about in the Old Testament is built out of a relationship of love. And it means that we walk in obedience to the Lord. So that's the first part of it. The first part of how do we navigate this world that's turned upside down because of sin? The first thing Ecclesiastes tells us is we fear the Lord, which is a way for him to say, live in right relationship with him. Of course, you know, this, so this book was written in the 10th century BC. So we're talking 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years before Jesus. And we, he's looking forward to the cross, you know. We're looking backward on the cross. And so when he talks about fearing God and living in obedience to God and having a relationship with God, it doesn't look exactly the same as when we talk about it because we have the benefit of knowing that God made the ultimate sacrifice for us already, right? He made it possible for us to actually live in a relationship with him, right, through the death and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. And, um, man, that, that's incredible, right? When we read these passages, I think, when we read about how Christ already perfectly fulfilled all of the law. He kept all of the commandments. He lived a sinless life and died this atoning, sacrificial death. Um, that is our entrance into this relationship with God. And once we have that relationship, then we live in obedience to him. We don't, we don't, the obedience doesn't get us to that relationship, right? We already have that relationship and therefore we seek to fear him and, and live in obedience to him. So that's the first thing. The, the first kind of response to an upside down world is we have to fear the Lord. That involves obeying him, trusting him. Um, if you keep reading throughout, if you read the book this week or sometime, I encourage you to, you'll see often the author of Ecclesiastes will talk about God's sovereignty, enjoying God's gift if he allows it. He has a very high view of God's sovereignty. And I think that should carry over also into how we navigate this world, right? Because um, at the end of the day, like God is mysterious and we often don't know why he does what he does. Read the book of Job. Job never finds out why he suffered the way he suffered. He lost his entire family, everything he owns, and the book ends without God ever answering the question, why, <laughs> you know? Um, and we, we don't know. We don't know why God did what he did. I mean, we can speculate and we can say this or that, but at the, ultimately, at the end of it, we're left with God did what he did because he's wise and good. And I think that is step one, right, to navigating this world, fearing God, trusting him, living in a relationship with him, which we can do now because of Christ. And then the second part is um, enjoying God's gifts. Now, in these six passages, Ecclesiastes over and over, so chapter 2, 3, 5, 8, 9, and 11, 12 chapters in the book, and six of those chapters, he says, enjoy one of four things, food, work, a spouse, and wine. Now, these are the very things that humans enjoyed in the Garden of Eden, right? So they enjoyed, God gave them work, God gave them food, all the food to the, you know, the tree, fruit from every one of the trees. He gave them companionship, right? He gave them, the Garden of Eden was filled with food, work, and a spouse, and presumably wine. I don't know. Um, but Ecclesiastes adds that one on. But he gives this, and so when Ecclesiastes says, okay, 
the world is all messed up. We're going to recognize the reality of the fallenness of our world and the brokenness that we live in, wrestle with that, name it, be frustrated about it, but we're going to fear God and we're going to enjoy God's gifts. And in, in enjoying these gifts, Ecclesiastes is doing something pretty radical. He's saying, let's return to the Garden of Eden. And if you guys know your Bibles, you know that the book of Revelation also returns, right? You have in uh, Genesis, you have these rivers and the tree of life. And in uh, the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation, you also have rivers and a tree of life, right? Uh, and, and in that place, in, where the hope that we're looking forward to, there is no um, nighttime. It's always day, and God is going to wipe away every tear, and we're going to live in right relationship with this king who died for us 2,000 years ago. And so Ecclesiastes is saying, look, we can attempt, however feebly, if God will allow it, to take pleasure in those same types of gifts that they had in the Garden of Eden, and in that small way, return. And in these brief moments, right, you know, you eat like a really good meal. It's when you're finished eating, it's over. It's time to clean up. But in that brief moment, you got to experience this really good meal. In moments with your spouse, you get to experience a part of the Garden of Eden. And, and if you have young kids, those moments are few and far between, but they're still there sometimes. Let's look at these passages real fast. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 through 26. And I think these are all right. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. Again, the, the high view of God's sovereignty. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases God, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of storing and gathering up wealth to hand over to one who pleases God. This too is like Abel, chasing after the winds. Ecclesiastes 3, 10. We'll just read. I think we read 10 through 15 already. I've seen the, God, the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. I'll jump down a little bit to um, 22. So I saw there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because this is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? No one. 5, 18 through 20. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of their life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them out occupied with the gladness of heart. Let's look at 8, 10 through 15. That's what we just did. No. Yeah, 8, 10 through 15. Let's just do 15. 
Oh, sorry, in 14. There's something else like Abel that occurs on the earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. We talked about this last session. This too, I say, is like Abel. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. The joy will accompany them in all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. Let's look at 9, 7. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy your life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this able life that God has given you under the sun, all of your able days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you're going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. And finally, let's look at chapter 11, verse 8 through 10. However many years one may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is able-like. You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. And follow the ways of your heart in whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Again, there's that concept of fearing the Lord. So, banish, so then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles from your body. For youth and vigor are like Abel, passing. They're going away. So Ecclesiastes is saying, look, yes, and, 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 mo- and, and if you'll notice, if you go back and read, the majority of these passages come right after one of these situations that he says is like Abel. So he'll recognize, he'll talk about some absurd or frustrating thing, some, some upside-down experience that he's, he's observed or seen, and then he'll say, so this is what we should do. We should enjoy these, these gifts that God has given, these fleeting, momentary gifts that God has given. Now, the, one of the ways, too, that is important for understanding these four kind of areas that Ecclesiastes says to enjoy these gifts of God is, and kind of to, figure, to see the relationship between fear and God in these passages of enjoyment is we see fearing God as kind of the guardrails. We see scripture as the guardrails because you guys know, I mean, all four of these are kind of fundamental areas where we sin, right? Um, wine on one side, you know, you kind of have, and they're, both, they're extremes on both ends. On one side, you have the, the teetotaler who says you can never drink alcohol anytime under any circumstances. Uh, and um, the other side, you have the alcoholic, who stays drunk all of the time, right? And Ecclesiastes is saying, like, look, there's an appropriate time to enjoy in moderation, whatever. Um, but wisdom and makes us avoid both of these. Well, wisdom would makes a lot of people avoid alcohol altogether, but you get my picture. Work in the same way. You can be on one side super lazy. We read all through Proverbs about the, the folly of laziness and never doing anything. And on the other side... You can be a workaholic, and you can find your identity in your work, and you can look to work to say, this is who I am, not what I do. And so there are these temptations on both sides. The same way with food. You can say, you can use food, you know, as a, a, a mechanism of control and say, like, everything, everything in the world is out of control, but I can control this, what I eat, and so I'm going to have this perfect body and always eat the perfect food and never... Never eat the wrong thing and never eat too much. And I'm going to have this, you know, perfectly shaped physical specimen of a body. 
And on the other side, you have gluttony, where you just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. You know, this is one thing I struggled with. I still struggle with when I, you know, stopped drinking alcohol and stopped using drugs, and I need something else to kind of fill that void. And I, I look to food instead of the Lord, right? And and that is one danger of these gifts that God has given. Also, a spouse. You see, on the one hand, people who will you know, marry multiple times or just have affairs or have multiple sex partners, all of that. Like, that's outside of God's will. And on the other hand, you, you see people who will say, like, you should never get married. I mean, obviously, the New Testament speaks about God does establish celibacy for some people, like Paul. Um, but marriage itself is a good thing that God has given us, right? It's a mechanism for... Um, having a partner to go through this life with. And so God gives us these good gifts, and there's temptations on both sides to destroy those gifts, right? But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't still enjoy them as he allows. So in a little bit of time left that we have here, I don't want to keep you guys all over. I just want to close out by saying we enjoy as God allows it. That's one of the things that Ecclesiastes makes so abundantly clear. He says, look, there are problems in life. There are frustrations. Good people die. Sometimes people get cancer. Sometimes our children pass away. There are miscarriages. There are all manner of horrible things. There's abuse. There's drug abuse. There's physical abuse, sexual abuse. There are all sorts of just dark and difficult experiences that we have to go through. And the thing is, it doesn't matter. Often, it doesn't matter if we're Christian or non-Christian. Like, we're humans, and we live in a world of sin. And so we experience these dark, broken moments in life. And I love that the book of Ecclesiastes addresses that stuff because, like I said in the very first session, for me, it was like this... I'd finally found someone who said, like, yeah, like, I, life is kind of messed up sometimes. It's not always happy-go-lucky. Sometimes there are these earth-shattering events. And the book of Ecclesiastes recognizes that. And he says, in light of all of those things, we can hold on to some really good things. God is sovereign, Right? You know, he says, one of the passages we read, if God allows you to enjoy these gifts, it is his, if he gives you the power to do that, that's a good thing. And he says, look, he's given you, back in the Garden of Eden, he gave our, our parents, Adam and Eve, each other, and he gave them food, and he gave them work, and those were the gifts to enjoy. And as we navigate this life of, that's marred by sin and death, and that Jesus promises will be dark and difficult if we follow him, there are some things that God gives us that we can enjoy in the moment, if we'll allow ourselves to. And, and they are momentary, passing pleasures that God gives us because he loves us. That's one thing that's been incredible about becoming a dad is, the, is realizing the links that I will go to to give my kids something that they like just because like, I love them. No other reason. It's just because they're your kid 
and you like to give them things that they like, right? And Jesus in the New Testament picks up on this whole idea, and he says, look, you guys are evil, and if your son asks you for bread, will you give him a stone? Of course not. You're going to give them, and then he says, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask for them? And of course, Jesus kind of flips everything on his head again when he dies for us. So when we think about all of the upside down world in Ecclesiastes and all of the frustrating things that he's experienced, you know, Hebrews tells us that Jesus has experienced all of those things. He's experienced all the temptations we've had, and he is the one person who ever lived who was completely and fully upright and pleasing to God and just and like he died this horrific, torturous death on a cross. And for us, right? I mean, it's pretty amazing. Like, if you kind of let that sink in, he did that so that we might have a relationship with God so that we can finally more fully experience this piece of fearing God that Ecclesiastes is talking about. He's saying, look, enjoy these gifts God has given. Live in right relationship with God. And even though he's a thousand years before the cross, you know, we're looking back on the cross and saying, like, yeah, we can finally do that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so, to kind of close out here, um, I think as believers, obviously, one of the most important things we do is share the gospel. That's, of course, um, we know what it means to fear God, to live in relationship with him because of the death and resurrection and the life of Jesus. And we can read what he's done for us and we can read the Old Testament. We have this we have a wealth of information in Scripture that, that people in the days of Ecclesiastes, they didn't have access to Scripture the way we do. And I think we can use this book or utilize this book. I think the better way is to say this book can shape us in, as Christians to say, like, we should take joy in these gifts that God has given us. We should take joy in the physical pleasures of life, like food and work. And I don't know about you guys, but I've seen so often these things abused, you know. Um, people, even like people complaining about work. I mean, it's like a small thing, but we can give glory to God by rejoicing in the work that he's given us and worshiping him in that work rather than seeing it as this burden. The Bible tells us that's his gift that he's given us. And, and in taking pleasure in food, and I know, like, food is a big deal in, in our family. We, like, we try to eat, you know, two meals a day together, and we invite people over as much as possible because we feel like that's where we can really love people well and each other well is by sharing good meals together. Um, there are other ways to do it, of course. And so I think that's what Ecclesiastes is getting at. It's saying, look... The ways to minister, the way to navigate this world, live in relationship with God, enjoy the gifts that he's given us as much as possible. And I think in doing that, this call to enjoy, to really enjoy these things like food and work and companionship and to live in fear of God in the sense of a relationship with him, like obeying him because his son died for us. 
I think that really is the high calling of a Christian, and I think it's a direction Ecclesiastes is pointing us in. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace. Thank you that you have given us scripture. Thank you that you have given us some tools to navigate this world that you put us in. I pray that our hearts would be turned towards you and that we would love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. what he has given us, but we don't want to do it in the context of fearing and loving God. And, and I even love that picture of fearing God within a covenantal relational context through a relationship that we have by faith with Jesus. You, you know, that, that, that's what makes it possible. And it reminds me that it's, our identity is always marked by what Christ has done for us and who we are in his eyes. Not by what we do. We're, we, we don't we don't love God. We don't fear God in order to earn something, but it's a way to enjoy relationship with God, which is what God wants for us, and he wants with us. So, yeah, I just love that. So, so good and so practical for our lives. Yeah, so don't go complaining to work tomorrow. <laughs> uh, enjoy a good meal. Enjoy the meal even if it's not good. <laughs> Say, bless the Lord. You've given me food today and sustain. Uh, to sustain and to guide. Uh, just really quick before we close out, any questions or any you know thoughts? If you're if you're cool to do that, and I'll try and repeat them so those online can can hear that. Any questions? Perhaps there won't be tonight, so that's okay. Yeah, Norm. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's good. For those online, that was thank you for coming. Yeah. Any questions about the text? Anything else? I do have, like, is this on? Do I turn it off? Hello? Well, I guess this will be on your YouTube channel, too. I have, like, a, on, I have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Meek where I like, where I talk about a lot of these things in Ecclesiastes, like a lot of the things that I've talked about here, and then also a lot of other just like random Old Testament stuff. Um, yeah, so, because that's what, yep. that's what I want to do, is make the Old Testament understandable, and, and so that, that's what I do on the, on the YouTube channel, and anyway, there's so, so a lot of, if there's like something that you're wanting to think about, a lot of it is on there, and then also you can just like reach out. Jeremy has my information, I'm loved yep. to chat Old Testament stuff more. Sure do. Yeah. Cool. Would you stand with us? If you're here, stand with us. If you're not here, stand with us. If you're able to. And let's, uh, let's bless the Lord. Father, we bless you for the good gifts that you have given us. You've given us life and breath. You've given us purpose and meaning in life. Lord, you've given us uh, your son. You've sent your son whom you love 
to make atonement for our sins. And because of Jesus, God, we can come to you uh, boldly into your presence and we can have a relationship with you and we can walk with you and we can know what it means more and more each day to have a life that is directed in, in an important way and in a, in a God way in which we can seek your kingdom and your righteousness. And I pray that for my friends both in this room and online tonight. God, I pray that as we enter into our Monday, whether that's going to work, whether that's going to school, wherever our feet take us tomorrow, God, may we see the moments we have on this earth not as chance or, or, or not as something to be discarded, but, it is, but as meaning and purposeful. God, you have given us, you've given us a message to share. And one of the best ways to share that message is to invite people into our lives so that they can hear your word and hear how you have saved and redeemed us. And Lord, I pray that you would bring people into our lives this week who need to hear of the good news of Jesus, that they may fear you and keep your commandments, that they might enjoy your gifts as they walk in relationship with you. Lord, we pray for a, a very hurt, hurting world a world that is marked with um, thoughts of self-harm and, and, and thoughts of shame and fear and anxiety. Um, God, thank you for giving um, your spirit to walk with us in those deep and dark places. Thank you for giving a community of faith to gather around, to encourage and to lift up each other when we are down. And God, thank you for um, using us, your people, to be a light that shines in the darkness. And even when the darkness doesn't understand it, it's still light. We bless you, Lord God. We bless you and we thank you for your good gifts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Together we say, amen. All right, you're dismissed.